Welcome everybody, we're so glad that you are here with us today and we are going to um, take a few moments as we did this last year uh, in which we took a few moments to, to do a, the last Sunday of the year being a celebration Sunday to celebrate maybe what God has done uh, through our church in our lives and so what we want to do is, is take a couple moments, and, and we'll do that to celebrate what God has done, but then we're also going to lean into uh, maybe a time of reflection for each and every one of us about what this past year has looked like. Because if we just think of, if you were to think of 2019 and your life, there's probably a, a bunch of different emotions, different stories, different times that stand out. And so what does it look like for us to lean into that, to pray through that, process that, and then be ready to see what God has for us in 2020. So before we move any uh, more forward with this, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us through his word and through our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you for each and every person that is in this room. Uh, we thank you for each person that might be listening online later. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears my voice right now knows that they are deeply loved by you. Whether they know it not or not, whether they've changed their lives to respond to that love or not, I don't know. But God, we are grateful for how much you love each and every person, that you formed them, you breathed life into them, and you brought them here today uh, to hear what you would have to say, God. So I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So last year, um, I brought uh, this out. Some of you may remember, some of you may not, but uh, these are different stones that I put inside my office. And the reason I do it is based off of uh, Joshua 3 and 4, the story in which in the Bible where Joshua is about to lead the people after they've been in the desert for 40 years. Moses had just passed away. Joshua just inherited leadership. And God says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. And so what happens is they cross the Jordan. And the moment that the priest's feet touch the water with the Ark of the Covenant and they touch the water, the river stops upstream. And it talks about how it stops upstream at the city of Adam, which was 20 miles upstream. So it shows us how God is working. And there are times in which when we take that step, we can see how he's been working behind the scenes this whole time. And then the whole nation of Israel walks through the water, crosses through the Jordan, and makes it into the promised land. And before they leave, Joshua tells them, each one person per tribe of Israel, so 12 people, to go into the middle of the riverbed and to grab these stones and to put them on the side of the, um, on the, side of the land where the promised land is in order to say, when your kids ask about this, Joshua 4, 16 and 17 talk about, or 6 and 7, say, when your kids ask about this, tell them how God brought us through and how we were able to walk through the river on dry land. And it's this way for, for them to be able to look at the stones and say, this is what God has done. This is how we celebrate what he's done. This is how we've seen him redeem us and move in our lives. And so I started doing this years ago in which I started to collect rocks from different places that I've been. And so, you know, there's one here from Haiti. There's one here from Zimbabwe. There's one here from when I went to India and I went to the leper colony. There's one from when um, I went hiking and just wanted to remember what God had shown me. There's one here in which I talked about how I wrote the word, uh, I was at Arrow Leadership, uh, which is a great program, and I wrote the, like, what have you learned this, this time when we were there? And I wrote nothing. And so, like, it was a little, 
uh, a little, not controversial, but you know, I had to explain myself because what it meant was I had to learn and am still learning as someone who struggles with performance and struggles with people's approval. I had to learn and am still learning how nothing I can do can earn God's love, that he loves me, that if I did nothing else for the rest of my life, I'm still lovable by the most high king because it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. And so I just wrote the word nothing there. And so there's a full of these rocks, full of these stories. And then this was the one from last year because last year I had each of us, if you wanted to, to grab a rock and remember a word, remember something God had done in 2018. And so I look at this again and I remember my word or my idea was the idea of calling because 2018 was the time in which, was the year in which I was able to know that I'd been called to be a senior pastor for 14 years before that, but I was blessed to be able to come down and be a part of this wonderful congregation, this wonderful church, and to fulfill that calling. And so being able to look back on all the ups and downs of this year and remember to hold fast to the calling, this is something that is a visual for me in my office to remember what God has done. Times where he's done things worth celebrating, times he's brought redemption, times he's worked. And so... In our church this year, we've had a lot of things that have been really good, that one of the themes or one of the goals that we didn't necessarily say out loud on a Sunday morning, but behind the scenes as staff and elders and board members and SLT, we talked about how one of our goals for this year is to help people get plugged in to the people and the purpose of the church. That if you see inside your bulletin, we talk about how here at PCC, we want to help people get plugged into the people and purpose of the church. We want people to be changed by God to make a change in this world. And we want people to recognize we are called to be witnesses by sharing our faith and serving the world. And so like our church initials, plugged in, changed by God, and called to be witnesses, our PCC. So hopefully it's easy for us to remember, and hopefully it symbolizes the way we live. So for this year, in 2019, we took that first portion, the the plugged in idea, and we just did a few things that we wanted to intentionally find ways for people to get plugged in to our church. And so I'm just going to list a few of them here, and some of them are more kind of behind the scenes, and some of them are more through community. So we've had, we updated the welcome cards and the prayer cards so people knew that they were prayed for. We started organizing welcome dessert throughout the year, and we had one that especially had 14 people, and it was for brand new people, just, <coughs> excuse me, just to get to know us, get to know the church. Um, and then we had uh, quarterly events in which we did things like the International Potluck and Bunko, which I lost a lot, and thanks serving. We had the membership class where we've had like, about 15 new people who have come within the past few years and have decided to take that step into membership of our church. Not just attending, but being members who are serving, who are um, giving, who are committing to being a part of this, who are committing to growing and being a part of the vision that God has for us. That we had 15 new members in this past year. We started looking at... um, Different groups that developed, that there's the PCC Mom Life that I mentioned, started last January, and it's been a place for moms to get connected in the midst of the busyness of life and to be able to to build that community to find fellowship and food and nourishment for your souls. That we're able to have other women's ministry events, like the um, winter retreat, or um, even this couple weeks ago, the Christmas craft and cookie Christmas craft and cookie. Yeah, I said that right. Okay, Christmas craft and cookie night. Um, and then we had men's ministry events that are starting to develop the past week and moving forward into this coming year. We have a college and young adult group that was an idea nine months ago, and 
was something that came to fruition inside the summer and, and that someone had generously helped to just be able to pay for that group to start meeting in a location that was a, a coffee shop locally nearby. And so someone was, got behind the vision and said, we want to be a part of this. And being able to have that group start to develop community in a, in a group or an age range that is hard to reach sometimes. We've done things like Dinner for Six over the summer in which we had groups of people coming together and just getting to know one another in community. So we talk about this idea of getting plugged in, and the main word for that is the word of community. And we're trying to foster, develop, and continue to grow that area in our church. And this coming year, we're going to look more in the area of discipleship. What does it look like to be changed by God to make a change in the world? But the reason I bring all that up is that those are things to celebrate that our church has experienced, that more people are getting plugged in and are finding a church home here. But we've also, I mean, we got we to gotta acknowledge that this year has been a hard year for our church in some ways, too. That as much as we want to celebrate the good things, we also have to try to recognize how God has been working in the tough things. That we know that we're... Um, we, you know, we were able to have things like baptisms and child dedications and great stuff, but then we also had a hard year in regards to, you know, we're about to, we, we extended an offer and hired a worship director, but now we're back at the worship director search. Like, that's a, that could be a tough thing, and Susie has come in and, and done a great job with Rex, and so we're very grateful, but we also know that that's just something where that's, a, that's another thing where there's a transition that has been tough in order to bring someone on and then uh, see them go elsewhere, that we've seen friends of ours move away. People have attended our church for years and years, have moved away to go near other family members, things like that, and as, as we all know, we've, we've also lost people that we love, that they have left this world and gone home to be with Jesus, but yet we talked about this month that even when we hurt with hope, it still hurts. And so we mourn the losses of people in our church family that have meant so much to us. And so especially with the holidays, we lift up people who have lost loved ones. And so we can look at great things of this year. We can look at difficult things of the year of the church. And I want to transition to think about for your life from this year, things that have been great, things that have been difficult. And our main point for today, if you want to follow along in the notes, is that no matter what kind of year you've had, you can celebrate that God's unfailing love endures forever. That no matter what kind of year, good, bad, ugly, everything in between, God's love endures forever. As Dan mentioned earlier in our communion meditation, Hebrews 13 says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just because we've experienced a certain kind of year doesn't mean he is a different kind of God. I want us to be in Psalm chapter 107 today. We're going to do some reading. We're going to dive into this section because this passage points to different circumstances that people have had really tough times with and then talks about how God responds in the midst of that. And the thesis statement or the main point of Psalm 107 is seen in the first three verses. And I want us to, to read those together. If you brought your Bibles, that's wonderful. If you have your phone, we're in Psalm 107. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have um, Bibles that are in the seat racks in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, I invite you to take that Bible and, and allow that to be our gift to you this morning. But what I want to do is we're going to be on page 946 in our church Bible, Psalm 107. And the first three verses say this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeems from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. We've heard maybe a translation of this that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord tell the story. And so this has different stories of how God has shown up and taught me things and challenged me and grown me and stretched me. And so we need to be able to share those stories of what God has done. How has he redeemed us? How has he worked even in the difficult times of this year or this decade or our lives? How has he redeemed those times and taken a mess into a message, taking a test into a testimony and not wasting our hurts, but using our hurts to reach those who are hurting. And so I want us to look in your notes there. The next few sections as we have together, we're going to look at um, a few notes. And one of them is talks about how uh, stories of redemption and celebration. And so the first one, as we look at the, first, uh, the next few verses, say that some of us this year have been wandering through the desert. Some of us have been wandering through the desert. Let me read verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. See, we stop here that maybe if you were to look at your year, you just felt lost. You were wandering. Maybe you were wandering, hoping to find a new job or hoping to find a new place to live or hoping to find a new relationship or hoping to find redemption within previous relationships that are broken within your family or lost. They're homeless. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're in need. And maybe looking at your year, you've just been wandering. That you would look back and maybe you remember what it was like a year ago and you look at the past year and you say, I've I haven't gone anywhere. I've been meandering in the wilderness and the desert wastelands this year. I haven't grown. I haven't taken those intentional choices to improve in maybe spiritual health, maybe physical health, whatever it may be. So maybe you're looking for value in the various idols of performance, of how well you do, of popularity, of how, what people think of you, of possessions, what you own. Maybe it's in money. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in power. Maybe it's in prestige. Maybe it's in whatever it may be. But we're longing for something. And yet whatever those idols are, whatever those things are, we try to seek in order to fulfill us. The longer we pursue those, the longer we are in the desert wasteland, wandering, lost, homeless, hungry, thirsty, and longing, because none of those things can satisfy. And yet we see the graciousness of our God, who, verse 6, when it says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. He rescued. He saves us. This idea of when delivered was a stronger word than trying to get pizza into my home within the next 29 minutes, right? This idea of deliverance and delivery, this idea that we've been removed from the wasteland and set our feet upon a rock, that we've been removed from our wandering and God has brought us home. So we see that when that happens, when we've been wandering the desert, may we celebrate, if we're going to take a concept of God or a character of God for us to celebrate today, if that's you, may we celebrate how God is a homemaker. That they've been wandering, looking for a, a land, a place to stay, a place to make their own, and they're lost and hungry and thirsty and longing, and God makes a home for us. He takes us from our longing from the wilderness, and he says, I've made a land for you, a place for you, and I'm a homemaker for you. Now, I have to, I have to just say... My wife, Steph, is an incredible homemaker. 
And she stays at home and she pours into our kids and she makes the home my favorite place to be. Like, I love you all at church, right? I love you guys. But I love home. And home isn't about the four walls that we live in and the door we walk through. Home isn't about the things that fill it, but the love that fills it. And so Steph does an amazing job of making home an amazing place and a wonderful place and my favorite place to be. That God makes a home for you. We're not meant to be in the wasteland forever. There will be seasons where we wander. But even like Paul says, the idea that we are in this world in our earthly tents, but God has made a more permanent dwelling. That Jesus, when he says, John 14, I've come, that you may, the, the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I've gone to prepare a place for you. That we might be wandering in this world, but he has a home for us in the next. When we trust him, when we love him, when we follow him, we see that he is a homemaker. How do we see this in the passage? Verse 7 through 9, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. That we could taste and see that the Lord is good. That we are blessed when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we don't have our gods as our bellies, as Paul talks about in Philippians. But we find our one true God is the only one who satisfies. And so when we recognize that God is a homemaker, it's not about wandering it's about settling it's not about being hungry or thirsty it's about being satisfied and the only one who can satisfy us is Jesus is God as our homemaker so some of you if you've been wandering this year maybe the word of characteristic of God you need to hold on to is homemaker this morning for others of you maybe you're not feeling like you're wandering some of us in your notes have been imprisoned we've been imprisoned and we're living in darkness that we just spent a whole series talking about how Jesus as the light of the world for our Advent series, how he is the light of the world. So when he walks into the room, the darkness must, be, must flee. The darkness cannot overcome it. And he turns off the darkness around us. What do verses 10 through 12 tell us about this? Verse 12, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Imagine just that extra emphasis of recognizing, not just like kind of dark, but this utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. See, being imprisoned in darkness, in gloom, in misery, maybe you feel like you're stuck there and you cannot get out. Maybe you're recognizing that verse 12 shows us how when we are imprisoned, there's still a bitter, there's a discipline. There's sometimes we have to learn the hard way because of what God needs to show us. And we learn the hard discipline of the Lord, but he does not leave us in prison. That when Jesus came in Isaiah 61, we see that Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in Luke when he says, I have come and here's what the Messiah was to do. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Isaiah 61, one of the things it says is to set the captives free. That is for freedom that you have been set free. That we are no longer meant to stay in the luxury and the comfort of the slavery of Egypt. We are meant to 
make it through that time and to be able to go experience the freedom of the promised land and experience God's provision. So maybe right now you've been experiencing a depression, a darkness that weighs upon you. And if you've been with us any amount of time, you know that depression is part of my story as well. Maybe you've been oppressed or, or have been experiencing this heavy anxiety and it's caused you to not want to get plugged into people because the, the, the being around one another and being around people is such a weight and so difficult. Maybe like our sermon, we, our series we just went through, you've been experiencing such despair or fear or guilt or loneliness. Or maybe you're stuck in the same, imprisoned in the same unhealthy habits with your relationships, with your health, and in your life. And you feel like I'll never be able to change. This is, quote, just how I am or just, you know, what it looks like. Elise right now, she'll do something and then, like, honey, don't do that. She says, it's just my personality. And we're like, that is, like, really cute, but that's not okay. <laughs> like, and also, she was the one that was just swaying the whole time during the singings, my favorite. Um, she's so great. But this idea of maybe you're stuck in the same unhealthy patterns and it feels like you're bound to them when really... We've been set free from it. It's the example of the elephant who had been trained while as a baby and had an ankle uh, chain that was uh, driven a stake into the ground and tried as much as they could as a baby in order to get out and to, to, to be free. But that stake was so strong and the chain was so strong that the elephant realized that they couldn't move. So even as a grown elephant that now with enough power to rip that stake from the ground, they had been trained to just be stuck and just get used to the captivity. Even though they had the power not to be and the power to be set free. That some of us have been so imprisoned and used to the things that held us down that we don't recognize that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not need to be slaves. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. And how deep the love the Father has lavished upon each and every one of us that we may be called children of God. So what, how do we see the response? In verse 13, here's the pattern. Then they cried out to the Lord again. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. So if we are experiencing this time of imprisoned in darkness, then may you, may we celebrate how God, not necessarily a homemaker in this case, but God is a jailbreaker. He sets us free. He removes the bars that hold us down. He takes away those chains and he sets us free. Verse 14 through 16 says, he brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord in his un for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron, that he sets his people free. But I don't know if, if you all, when you were younger or anytime played the game Capture the Flag, and I remember playing it at camps with summer, um, uh, summer camps or youth ministry, and I remember playing Capture the Flag and... Like, I've, I've never been known for my physical prowess, um, my agility, or my anything. So um, I, had a, I worked at a summer camp one time, and there was a group of us, and like, I was, our team was always the last place team. And like, one of my friends, who was very well-meaning, was like, listen, you, ju you, just, you, you weren't here to win the games, but you can lead a Bible study. And I'm like, thank you. That's great. That hurts a little though. So, um, but I remember this idea of when we would play capture the flag and then you, I would get caught because I'm slower and wouldn't be able to make it. And 
all of a sudden, what was my favorite thing that someone who wasn't playing would yell in order to keep the game going? They would yell, jailbreak. And everyone who had been caught, everyone who had been tagged, everyone who had been out, the moment jailbreak is yelled across the game, man, havoc reaches out. There's freedom. And you start to go and try to continue the pursuit of capturing that flag. And so it's this idea of jailbreak. When he looks at you and you feel like you're imprisoned in the same things, the same hurts and the same habits and the same hangups, the same struggles, the same temptations, the same trials. And you say, well, this is just my personality. This is just how I'm going to live. He looks at you and says, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, jailbreak. You don't need to be stuck here any longer. He says he will lead us to a settled place as a homemaker, and then he will break down the bars and the chains that bind us as our jailbreaker. And then he, they praise him, and they continue that on. Maybe some of you have been wandering this year. Maybe some of you have been living in darkness, utter darkness, and you're imprisoned by it, and you need to be set free. Maybe some of you, maybe some of us, have been afflicted by our own sins in your notes. We've been afflicted by our own sins. Verse 17 through 22. Verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all the food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Again, the foolish were foolish, not because they you know, made a mistake or did wrong things. The foolish are foolish because they rebelled against what God had said is the right way to live. And the fruit of our rebellion are sin. And the byproduct, the fruit of our sin is affliction. And the wages of sin, the only way to pay for sin is death. And so they are on death's door. And they are experiencing the weight of their sin because they made decisions. Maybe for you, you are someone that there's an addiction that has caught up with you this year. There's an addiction to alcohol or to drugs or to relationships or whatever it may be. There's an addiction that has caught up with you this year. And we're at the edge of that moment of feeling like there's a, a, a brokenness, a death, a, an affliction, and we are feeling the ramifications and the consequences of our sins. Maybe for some of you, that sin that you wanted to keep hidden for so long and to put on your perfectly quaffed mask to say that everything's fine when we come to church, maybe that sin got found out this year. Or maybe it didn't, but you're not plugged in enough to be able to have someone to whom you can confess that you're struggling. Maybe, maybe for you, the sin that you've been afflicted by is the sin of knowing what you should be doing and not doing it, as James 4 says, that if you know what is the right thing to do and we don't do it, that too is sin. The sin of commission, what we commit, what we do wrong, the sin of omission, the things we omit that we don't do that we should. And so when we see this comparison, it's all of us have been afflicted by our sin, whether we, we acknowledge it or not. All of us, if we were to live and go fully in the direction of our sin and fully embrace that direction, then we would be at the edge of death's doorstep. Maybe literally when there's addiction involved, but dangerously so. 
the death of our relationship with God or, or that salvation that we've allowed to erode because we've spent more time with our addictions and in our afflictions than we've spent time with our God who can free us from them. And they cry out in verse 19, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them from their distress. I hope you're noticing a pattern that we start to see here, that when there's a problem, they plea, and then God provides. And then what happens next? He sent out his word, and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. See, if you are inflicted with your sin right now, and you are experiencing the weight of that, even if no one else knows about it right now, but you do and God does, so there's no point in hiding it. If you are someone who's been afflicted by your own sin, may you celebrate today how God is a grave robber. He takes that which is meant to be dead. And he redeems it. So by grave robber, what I don't mean, to be clear, is someone who steals valuables from the dead, right? We're not talking about that. It's not someone who steals valuables from the dead. I mean that God is someone who steals those he values from their death. And recognizing that if doctors who people are at the edge of death's doorstep and they bring them back to life, you could say they're robbing the grave of another person in that moment. God is a grave robber who takes away our sin. He heals us. He rescues us. He brings that which was dead and brings it to life. That he speaks to the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 and says, get up. That which has been dead, that which has been meant for death can be brought to life by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And so we see that again, Verse 22, that they offer sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. Because we know this to be true. Those who have been forgiven of much, love much. We see that in the Gospels, that those who have been forgiven much, love much. If we feel like we don't need to be forgiven for our sins because we feel like our sins aren't that bad, then we're never fully going to understand the gravity and the power and the grace of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. Because we think we're not that bad. You know, we, we got a traffic ticket. We didn't murder somebody. We think that our sin might be so small. We underestimate our own badness and then overestimate our own goodness. But if we just recognize that when we know the depth of our sin, as Paul says that he was the chief of all sinners. Why? Because he knew all his sinful thoughts that maybe no one else did. And what do we see from the Beatitudes that in Matthew 5, the idea that thinking something, thinking anger towards someone is murder. That thinking lustful thoughts is adultery. That Thinking these things is still likewise of doing them. So if we recognize all of our thoughts that are sinful or against the Lord, if we understood that weight of our sin, then all of a sudden we would recognize that God has robbed the grave by setting us free, by taking Jesus out of his grave and allowing us not to be stuck there anymore, to be healing us, and then to be able to set us free and allow us to know that 
Through his grace, we've been forgiven. And so we give offerings, we give thanks, we offer our lives to him. Because that is our spiritual act of worship, to be living sacrifices. And then lastly, maybe you're not being afflicted by sins and need to call upon God as grave robber right now. But some of us, some of us were sailing through life this year, but then we experienced scary storms this year. Some of us were sailing through life. Let me jump into verse 23. Some were out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, for they were at their wit's end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And again, he brought them out of, his, out of their excuse me, distress. That when it seems like smooth sailing, then all of a sudden this storm comes. And maybe the storm was the fact that you got to diagnosis of cancer. Maybe that storm came in, in a relationship of a family member that just completely dissolved and, and melted away. Maybe it came in betrayal. Maybe it came in brokenness. Maybe it came in any of these different things. But when we hit that kind of storm and we experience that kind of our lives just being completely ravaged outside of our control, our courage melts away. And even when we have a strong faith, there are times when praying and reading the scripture and trusting that God is good is hard. And when our courage melts away and when trusting God is hard, we can still cry out to him and he brings us out of our distress. Verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. See, if you're experiencing a storm this year and it's just completely left you shipwrecked, staggered, broken, and your courage has melted away, may you celebrate how God is a storm calmer. He comes and he brings the storms to a whisper that many of us can resonate with the disciples who were on the boat with Jesus and Luke and, and all of a sudden there's this huge storm in the water and they're, they're, they're melting, their courage is melting away. They're not sure what to do and so Jesus is asleep in the bed or asleep, sorry, on the boat and they cry out and say, Jesus, wake up. Where are you? We're in the midst of a storm. And what does Jesus do? He comes in. He says, peace, be still. Then he looks and says, why did you have such little faith? Well, we didn't have faith, Lord, because you were sleeping on the job, that we were struggling. We're in the midst of a storm, and you seem to not be present. You seem to not really care. You seem to not be there for me. And yet Jesus shows us that his very presence with us in the midst of the storm perhaps can be like the eye of the storm where it's calm, not because the things around us are necessarily easier, but because he who makes our yoke easy and our burden light is with us in the midst of it. And the power of the storm calmer might be the one that you need to take hold of today in order to recognize that whatever you are struggling with, whatever storm has been ravaging your life, 
You are not alone in it. It may seem like God doesn't care. It may seem like Jesus isn't there. And it may seem like it's pointless to offer prayers. But God is with you and he calms the storm. The same God who can cause water to be stopped up so that people can walk through the promised land. The same God who talks about how when he split up the Red Sea, it was just through the breath of his nostrils. The power just so, and that was enough to just cause the seas to to stop and so that people can walk through out of Egypt. I mean, this God is the same God who longs to be your homemaker and to bring you settling if you've been wandering. He longs to be the jailbreaker that breaks you free of your imprisonment. He longs to be the grave robber that snatches you from death and gives you life. And he longs to be a storm calmer so that when your courage is melted away, you can rely on he who gives courage. That when you are struggling and you are broken and you are wounded, He can take you through the storm. And after a storm, I love this, in verse 29 and 30. The storm rages on and stilled with a whisper. Then verse 30, they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. After a storm, what more beautiful thing can we see than a safe harbor and a desired haven? That idea that home is coming. Safety is here. That's where God directs us. Now, we don't know how long the storm will last, But we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so he's going to last even longer. And then they praise him in verse 31 and 32. So the last couple moments I have together with you this morning, I want to point ourselves to the process and the pattern that we see, because some of you here are in the midst of the storm, are in the midst of the wandering, are in the midst of the imprisonment, and are in the midst of the darkness. And so you're saying, that's a nice thing to talk about, yet I'm right here in the middle of it. I'm not seeing the safe harbor, yet I'm in the storm right now. I'm not seeing God rescue me to the light. I'm in the midst of darkness, utter darkness right now. I'm not seeing the fact that I can be set free. I'm chained and I feel like there's nowhere else right now. And I'm not seeing how God is making a home for me because I'm wandering right now. That we may be in the midst of this process. And so looking at these first 32 verses of Psalm 107, I want to point us to the process and the pattern that we see how God responds. Because wherever you are, whatever your year has looked like this year, wherever you are in this process that's going to be on your screens, the process of the problem, the plea, the provision, and the praise Wherever you are in that process, you can trust in God's unfailing love. You might have just been ransacked with a problem and ravaged right now with a problem, and you don't even know what to do. You don't know where to start. You don't understand what new normal is going to look like now. You don't even know how to get up. And to do the next thing God wants you to do, how to get up out of bed today, how to get up and and come to a church and make it seem like everything's all right when really you might be experiencing brokenness and you don't even know you're in the midst of the problem. If you're in the problem right now, the next step is to make a plea towards God. Because when they, we see the problem of the storm, we see the problem of the affliction, we see the problem of the darkness, and we see the problem of the wandering. And in the problem, we see the explanation for the first few verses of each of those sections, but then there's the, the verse that repeats itself. Then they cried out to him in, his, 
and, they, and he saved them from their distress. They cried out to him and he delivered them from their distress. They cried out to him, they made a plea and he delivered them and rescued them and saved them. See, maybe you're in a place where you're pleading and yet you're not seeing the response yet. And you feel like Jesus is asleep at the wheel, wondering why the storm is raging and he seems not to care. And if you're in the midst of the pleading, just encourage you not to give up, not to give in. Encourage you to know that you can still make that cry. He hears the cries of our hearts. In a bruised reed, he does not break off. In a, he doesn't, a smoldering wick, he does not snuff out. But in our brokenness at the edge of the end, he can be with us and he can provide. He can give us that provision. The provision is the way of how he made, he brought them to a settled place where they can live. He made sure that the chains were broken so they could be set free. They brought him out of the grave by breaking down the bars of iron and those sorts of things. And he led them to a safe harbor. He provides for us in the midst. There's problem. There's the plea. There's the provision. Then there's the praise. That each of these little stanzas ends with the idea of how God moves in a powerful way, and then his people offer up offerings. They thank him. They praise him. They tell of his works. And it all brings us back to where we started in verses 1 through 3. That give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeems from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. See, even if you're in the midst of the problem, share your story with someone. Share your hope that somehow through the midst of this, our hope isn't a wishful thinking, it's a prayerful trusting that God will be with us and carry us through. If you're in the midst of the pleading section, well then, take hold of the peace that we don't need to worry about fear, that there will be a peace that when we plea upon the God of peace, the Prince of peace, that he will bring a provision. And when he does provide, oh man, we get to experience his love for us. And then we praise, we exalt him, we rejoice. And so the same Advent themes we talked about of hope and peace, and joy and love, this is how we embody it. We look upon our lives and no matter where we are in the process, we trust God that he is with us. We reach out to him and then we celebrate that Maybe we need to take hold of him as homemaker right now, or jailbreaker, grave robber, or storm calmer. And maybe you need to go, and we didn't buy you all rocks this year, but maybe you need to go out and have some time with the Lord this week. This morning, after service, go walk around, find a rock, and maybe you write down one of those names. Homemaker, jailbreaker, grave robber, storm calmer. Maybe you hold on to something else, but you... Hold on to the process that we talk about here. Whatever it may be, there is something you need to do with the Lord today, and I can't make that decision for you. But what I can do is just remind you that no matter what kind of year you've had, you can celebrate that God's unfailing love endures forever. And as, you're, as we close, as I know that you're going to have an opportunity to maybe look at some rocks or write down some things, 
in your notes on the back page, we don't always do this, but on the back of your notes, there are about five or so, maybe, reflection questions. Questions that are asking things like, you know, which one of those names do I need to call upon God right now? Which one of those descriptions matches where I am in life right now? Maybe it's where in that process am I currently experiencing right now? And what would it look like to live differently in 2020 so that we are able to move forward and live the life God has for us rather than being in darkness, imprisoned, wandering, or stuck at sea? When God has a home for you. So we recognize that you can have that time to, to do that sometime this week. But no matter what kind of year you had, whether it's a year of celebration, or whether it's a year where you've been experiencing these difficult things, celebrate that it's God's unfailing love endures forever. And tell your story. Tell your story of redemption, if that's come. Tell your story of celebration, if that's come. And if it hasn't, tell your story of just God's presence. Tell your story of sharing or experiencing what God has for you. Because as people who have been redeemed and changed by God, we don't get changed by God so that we can feel good. We don't get changed by God to be able to sit in a comfortable room and to sing songs we like. We don't get changed by God simply for our own benefit. Do we get changed by God and it's a benefit? Absolutely. But we are changed by God to make a change in this world. It's not just for ourselves to hold on to the blessing, but we are blessed to be a blessing and to share it and to spread it and to give it to all those we meet. And so what that means is we need to learn how to tell our story. And if you want to use rocks, great. But if not, let the redeemed of the Lord say so and give God all the honor, the glory, and as we see in the last point there, all of our praise. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that as we um, look at this year, God, that you would give each of us time to reflect. And Lord, I pray that that's a real thing, that it's not just a, oh yeah, no, that's a good idea, or oh, I would like to, but I've got things going on, Lord. We would be remiss if we did not take time alone with you to be still, to hear your voice, <laughs> to share with you the burdens that we have, to maybe make pleas to you. God, we would be remiss if we just moved forward without taking time to stop and to potentially see what you would want us to reflect on from this past year so that we can grow and so that we can become more like you in the next year. So God, we love you. I pray that um, you would be glorified, that you would help each of us to take hold of you as either a homemaker, jailbreaker, grave robber, or storm calmer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. child is born, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. All right. Amen?
You know, I think there are times in which that we respond to what God is saying and we think through our problems, we think through the pleas, we think through God's provision, and then it leads us to praise. And so we could sing about how he reigns forevermore and that could be part of who we are because it's just an overflow of what he's done. Um, I do want to just give a quick signal slash a little bit of a challenge for us uh, coming up starting this Wednesday is that uh, we're going to be going through the first four or five weeks of the new year, a book through the Proverbs. And so I know some people may have the desire, maybe many of you are in the word all the time. Maybe some of us are saying, well, you know, I'd like to be able to get in the word more often and I'd like to be able to do that, but it's hard to set that habit. Well, the new year is a great time for a habit to start. There's 31 days in January and there were 31 Proverbs. And And so what I would like us to do to challenge us, to encourage us, to grow us, to shape us is to ask all of us to just read one proverb a day, Proverbs 1 on January 1st, Proverbs 2, January 2nd, and just kind of move forward through the month of January that way. One, that'll help us prep for the sermons. Two, it'll allow us to create a habit. Three, what better way for us to start our new year and this new decade than from the wisdom of God's word? And let's take the next five weeks or so to do that together. So with that said, I hope you know you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. We would love to see you next week. We are praying for you. God bless, and we'll see you next next Sunday morning.